0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them.
1: Good morning and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center, right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. And we are ecstatic today to have such a group of the right people. These are community advocates, leaders in sustainability and sustainable resources, and uh, this is going to be a packed conversation today. So without a further ado, please help me welcome to the studio, Barbara Blalock, who is the Executive Director for Treasures for Teachers, and my dear friend, I will admit it. How are you? I'm fine, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming back.
2: Yes, of course.
1: And you've brought some pals with you. I
2: have, my yep. best pals. Kate, okay, would you like to introduce them? I would love to introduce <laughs> them. So we have Karen Jane. She is the Executive Director of Stardust Nonprofit Building Supplies. And Tom Mailer, he is the executive director of AZ Strut. And they can tell a little bit more if they'd like. Yes.
1: Well, we'll have them do it in a second. Full disclosure, I'm on the board for Treasure for Teachers. And I have to say, your names and your organizations come up frequently in our meetings, don't they? With the greatest respect, the greatest of ease, and the camaraderie that our our listeners are about to experience. So I just wanted to put that out there because um, this has been a, a conversation we've wanted to have for a while. And again, we're grateful that you're here. So would you be okay, Barbara, starting for us and explaining to our listeners who Treasures for Teachers is, uh, how you got started, and then we'll have the other two join us. We have, like Daryl said before we went live, up to 45 minutes. So please don't feel like you have to do tiny sound bites. This is where we want to do the deep dive and let people really get to know you.
2: Sure, of course. Our mission is to provide free and low-cost supplies to the educators from the community's reusable resources. So what that means is that we are getting donations from businesses, companies, um, retired teachers, and individuals of resources that are still very good, very well used, and can be creative in the classroom. We've been doing this for almost 20 years. We're about ready to celebrate our 20-year anniversary. Yes. How did we
1: go from 10 years to 20? In my mind, it's still 10 years in your story about how you started in your
2: garage. It's almost 20 years. Almost 20 years, so yes, it's incredible. As you mentioned, I did start in my garage. Um, There was no plan. Um, Everything grew organically, and it grew for two reasons, right? The first is the teachers needed the resources, but the second is that companies and businesses and individuals didn't know what to do with their excess resources that they had. Many companies had closets full of school supplies and office supplies they simply weren't using, and so it was taking up space for them but could be very valuable for teachers in the classroom. So we just started collecting those supplies and materials and then distributing out to the teachers in the community. As a former teacher and a former assistant principal, I'm grateful (laughs) that (laughs) you guys are here. I wish,
1: uh, it's been 20 years since I've been in education, (laughs) but I'm pleased that I got to meet you uh, all those years ago when I was bringing my boatload of stuff that was in the garage and I knew I was never going back. I'm like, where could I bring these? And Crystal took care of that for us. So Yes. yes, Tom, would you be willing to introduce yourself and again, the organization you represent?
0: Yes, I'm Tom Maylard, uh, executive director for AZ Strut. The long name is Arizona Students Recycling Used Technology. AZ Strut was started up about 25 years ago by Motorola and Intel, and their objective then was to get their used computers that they were done with to Arizona schools because they were convinced in, that many of the Arizona schools didn't have enough computers back then. We're talking, you know, desktops and towers, but... Uh, they didn't have enough so they wanted to get their computers to the schools they created az strut we've been off on our own now for at least 24 years i think next spring we do our 25 years recognized by you know the irs etc so over 25 years with technology a lot has changed but what we're still trying to do is we take any used technology and we attempt to refurbish it and get it out to schools. More recently, our focus has been on Title I schools and Title I students throughout the state. And then uh, but still reusing, recycling, all the, the other tech that we get. So uh, I can probably hit more detail on some of the circular economy aspects and how it's changed actually for us. It seems like it changes about every six to twelve months exactly how we're gonna, you know, get another life out of something, where it's gonna go. And what the demand is and and of course, over the pandemic that's that's changed a lot as well.
1: could you speak to the Title one for our listeners who may not know what that is and why it's so important that you all are focusing on that in particular
0: so title one a Title I student is a student that receives free or reduced school lunch programs, so that means that they're living in a household of a very low income, so I'll, I'll just say that then. A Title I school, and I forget the percentage, and if anybody here knows the number, I'm wrong. A Title I school is where 60% of their population is made up of Title I students, 60% or more. So then we know that those Title I schools and districts are receiving fewer funds because all of the school funding is so based on property taxes. So that if they're also in the community where many of the community is is living at the poverty level, et cetera, then that school is also receiving some of the most minimal funding. Mm -hmm. And if I I saw something in the Business Journal last couple of weeks where Arizona is, I don't know, 47th or 48th out of 50 states on public school funding as a whole. So you look at it and and you see that our school funding is that low in general for the state. And then we have a large disparity between the wealthy schools and the poor schools. Now we see that, our state, our Title I schools are some of the most underfunded schools in the country. And so that's where a lot of our focus is, is to assist in those Title One schools, whether it's with equipment or assisting them in their uh, technology education, et cetera. They probably went a little farther than you wanted.
2: It. No, it's ideal. Again, we've got a while, so can, can I... Um... Jump in, hey Tom! I'd like you to mention a little bit too about how you support our nonprofits because I know the treasures for teachers would not have the computers and the technology that we have because um, you were the one that donated it all to us and gave it to us and supported us in that.
0: Yeah, so when it comes to use technology and computers, especially over the the years, everybody can typically use a computer, and so we've got a guideline for giving. So it's it's Title I schools take the priority, then public schools. And then we have 501c3 nonprofit. So a nonprofit can put in a request for com- computers. And we've got guidelines for if we're donating them, or if we, um, we've hit a point where we need to charge a refurbishing fee of like $25. So for a $100, $150 laptop, it still only costs a nonprofit about $25. But then that's where that, that focus is. So yeah, we've, Since, in the 25 years, we are between 90,000, 100,000 computers uh, distributed. Wow. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Thank you. Karen, tell us about yourself and Stardust. good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm Karen Jane. I'm the CEO for Stardust. We are a nonprofit organization founded by Jerry and Debbie Bisgrove, who own the Stardust companies and created the Stardust Foundation. And we're actually celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. And about 25 years ago, Jerry and Debbie had purchased a home in Paradise Valley, and they were going to remodel the house. So they were going to do a full gut job. And so they told their friend that she could take whatever she wanted out of the house. They went away for the weekend, and when they came back, she had actually gutted the house for them. And they said, well, what did you do with everything? And she said, well, we put some of it in our own home. We sold some of it to people we know, and we gave the rest to people in need. And so that's how Stardust was formed. The Bisgroves put up the seed money with the stipulation that Stardust be in our name. So that's why we're called Stardust. And we operate two large reuse centers. There's one in Mesa and one in Glendale that take in donated building materials like cabinet sets, appliances, windows, doors, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And we sell the donated material out of those two reuse centers. Annually, we divert about 5,000 tons of usable material from our landfills and help folks that are uh, low income and can't afford the prices at the big box retailers. We also help landlords keep their properties intact so they can hopefully keep their rents a little bit lower. And then we're a great source for DIYers and creative reuse folks and um, folks that just like to take usable materials and keep them out of the landfill and help our environment. We also operate a program called Gifts in Kind, and it distributes about $25 million worth of usable material back into the community every year. We help about 200,000 individuals and their families with material resource needs.
1: The wood?
3: Actually, no, it's more like diapers, paper towels. Okay, I'm
1: thinking, since we're talking about, you know, furnishing and and, uh, materials that way, so it's diapers... Paper Paper towels. towels. It
3: can be small appliances, linens. It also can be building materials. We get donations from retailers like Amazon and Walmart and Bed Bath & Beyond and Home Depot. And we don't sell those donations. We just distribute them back into the community.
2: And we also have benefited from that program. And we used it for, um, you know, our store. So if we needed toilet paper for the organization or we needed Ziploc bags were huge. We love Ziploc Ziploc bags, they were able to provide Ziploc bags. So they do um, support nonprofit organizations as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we actually partner quite a bit. And this is just one example. When Barb has excess uh, school supplies, she can send them over to Gifts in Kind and we can distribute to our network. And when we have things that Barb needs, we can distribute them back. And also, um, on occasion, we get donations of computers and electronic material and they go to Tom and he puts them back into the community. And so it's, it's a great yeah. partnership the three of us have built Tom, over the years.
2: Tom gets
1: our computers. Too. <laughs> I have so many thoughts and stories running around my head. Uh, and the, what all of you are doing and have been doing for quite a, t- a long time is um, amazing. And there's still people who don't know who need your resources or can contribute to what you're doing. Uh, So let's talk for a few minutes about um, what are your needs? How can people get involved? And if you have a thought as to why not enough people know about you, let's speak to that to see if our listeners can help as well. So I'll just let all three of you kind of jump in there. But uh, what are your current needs and how are you currently letting people? This could be, you know, donors, um, partners, as well as the community that you serve. And then why do you think that, you know, not everybody still knows about what you're up to?
3: I was actually talking to one of my staff people this morning because yesterday I was working from home and my neighbor had one of our competitors come and pick up uh, building materials that she was donating to them. <laughs> I thought, here's my neighbor, and she didn't donate to us. And and I said to uh, my um, staff person, "We're just not the household name. I'm not sure what the solution is to become the household name, but we're just not the
2: household name. Not yet. Anyway." <laughs> Yeah, for us um believe it or not it's volunteers we have lost so many of our core volunteers through through the pandemic so it's trying to build that volunteer core up because without them we we can't survive we can't we just have too much to process too many donations to go through which is a blessing of course we always do need more donations so don't get me wrong (laughs) i'm not saying we don't need donations but we do need help processing those donations school supplies are always appreciated but what we really like and what we like to try to focus on is creative reuse materials. So I'll give you an example. Imagecraft just started donating all their end rolls of anything that they print on. So there might be a little bit of paper, vinyl, batting, foam on the leftover on the um, core of the um, rolls. So we get not only that, but we also get their cardboard tubes that are empty, nothing mm-hmm. on them. But the teachers use those in so many ways in the classroom. And nowhere else can they go and say, hey, I need to get some cardboard tubes. Where am I going to get those? You can't just simply go buy them. If you do, you're buying them brand new at a very high cost. And you come to Treasures for Teachers, you're getting them for free. Mm -hmm. So um, companies out there um, that have excess materials that they are either already landfilling or putting in in the trash because they simply don't know what to do, those are the kinds of things that we want. And we want them to reach out to all three of us, Mm -hmm. probably can be a resource to them for almost anything that they have in their company or organization. And
1: I know you well enough to know that if someone were to call you and there's something that you couldn't use or didn't have a space for, you're redirecting them <laughs> to your partners and, and yeah, creating that, which I know the two of you do as well. Yep. Uh, Marv, what do you think then is, what, what is the challenge in addition to volunteers, right, and being able to process the materials and get them on the shelves quick enough, corporation-wise, are there any challenges? And that we're, we're not making any wrong in this, but where, where do we struggle to have
2: more support from the bigger businesses? It's knowing who that person is in those big businesses. The individual. The individual. Who will be a champion for what you guys are who doing. Who will be a champion. So that's how we started with Intel. Kristen Marshall was our champion. Yay, she <laughs> She started out She would get a um, closet and she would fill that closet for Mm -hmm. us. She wouldn't let anybody throw anything away. She'd say, nope, give it to me and I'll collect it for treasures for teachers. But what happened was Kristen retired. When Kristen retired, she did try to hand it off to somebody, but that person wasn't the same passionate, big cheerleader that Kristen was. Mm -hmm. So the relationship's still there, but it's definitely not as strong and they're not looking at things in the same way that Kristen did Mm -hmm. back then. So that also is a challenge, especially once you make that connection in the company. So, for example, Imagecraft right now, Christine's my connection. If Christine leaves and she doesn't show the next person coming on how important this relationship is, they're probably going to be overwhelmed. They probably aren't going to have time to really nurture the relationship. And there's a good chance we may lose that donation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tom's thoughts about that?
0: So there's a number of areas in here. I was like thinking, oh, we could say this Say it all. But I'm going to come <laughs> off the corporations. And so our corporate donations were at about, January was the slowest month of overall volume of equipment donations we've seen in about five, six, eight, twenty 20 years. I don't know. Why? Because everybody was coming back to work, but they were sick. So the companies weren't fully staffed. So they didn't have anybody to say, see all that electronic stuff? Go take care of it. Okay. So, so I think it was, a, if we're, so strut, Equipment donations, we, we work off equipment donations. Of course, we like financial donations, but we, we've got a sustainable model of just give us equipment and we can generate a sustainable revenue while we're still donating out a half million dollars worth of equipment every year. Mm-hmm. So the corporate equipment donations are always best. But now, because they were light on on employees in January, I think that was it. Sure. Now, May, June, July, we're at about double our monthly average over the last five years. And it's mainly because equipment donations. Now my guy's in the truck five days a week instead of three days a week doing corporate pickups. So that's good. Will it taper off? I don't know. I hope not. But I think that um, I think with electronics, it's easier for that that company to say, no, there's a value, we gotta get it, where do we get it to? And if if somebody in there knew about Strut at some point in time, then they'll go, Oh, that's that's who we need to get it to. I think the challenge as it would might apply to T for T is at that management level of somebody going, We can do something else with this, they may have had enough turnover that nobody there knows that. What do we do with that stuff? Mm-hmm. All right. We just gotta get it out of our hair. And So then they're probably just throwing it away, which is really sad. But I think and I really think that there's a a whole social thing that's happened during the pandemic, and that is the way we eat in the last two years is we're we're making more garbage than we've ever made off of pickup food and all that, mm-hmm. and I think we're losing our frugality, our reuse concept, mm-hmm. just socially as a as a society in general, and so anyway, then is that gonna then filter into the corporate, or is all the corporations if they can get fully staffed again get back to that mindset That is that does that come back and reverse the rest of our, our society? I don't know. I'm just, I just look at that and go, and then I think about, I was thinking about the term frugality, not that my German grandparents knew that term, <laughs> they lived it because they went through the depression, but I also see that our society now, all the ones that lived through the depression, are, most of them are no longer with us. And that's where I think so much frugality or that reduce, reduce, reduce we don't have that in our mindset and I think that our society might be losing that. And, especially and of all we,
1: times to be losing it, right? <laughs> is the time when we're watching the economy and we're we're experiencing what we experienced. Uh yeah, it's it's a critical time for us. Yeah. But
0: yeah. so anyway, but coming back to um volunteers, we're 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 clawing to get ours back and we're finally. Eight years ago, we were 90 percent of our workforce was volunteers. Now we've Mm -hmm. hired on staff because we've been able to grow. And and, but here's the ironic part. Every one of our every one of our strut employees were a volunteer at some point in time. So that that really helps our H.R. problems because (laughs) everybody worked for us for nothing at one point. And now anyway, but um, but we've done a lot of staffing because otherwise we wouldn't have been able to 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 rely on volunteers, especially during the pandemic. And in that first 12 months of the pandemic where all the schools everywhere needed as many laptops as we could get we then started hiring on because we couldn't have volunteers due to potential lawsuits and all that but we got a lot done and we converted to employees etc but i know i've probably gone off the the rails you don't
1: you don't have to worry about that we got plenty of time and really that's we love our conversations at business radio x for the very reason that each of you are are modeling we really just want whatever energy is in the space, in the room, and the relationship that you have to to bubble up. That's why it's not a quick, you know, 20-minute, let's just hit the sound bites and have you get on with your day. We want you to ruminate in the conversation and what's showing up for you from a heart perspective. So thank you. Karen, anything to add to that?
3: Yeah, well, I definitely agree with Tom. I think there's a huge educational opportunity, and it's been there for the 25 years we've been in existence. People don't, necessarily think about reuse as an opportunity because they might not be the one who's going to reuse it, but it, it definitely is a huge opportunity to help our environment and help our community. So many people can benefit from that item that you just don't want to use anymore. Nothing wrong with it. So find the right organization to donate it to because material donations are really what drive our organizations and help us sustain We're all three of us sustained on the donation of the materials. And that's just critical. I mean, even in our uh, type of business, excess construction materials that are coming out of these huge residential and commercial buildings, those are going to waste, going to the landfill. And they could actually go to Stardust, and Stardust could put them back into the community for use. So I think it's, it's just critical. And how we educate the community on the benefit of reuse and how it's really a part of the solution, I think, is really
0: key to all that we do. So I can't believe I get to be the one that talks about this. I so, <laughs> can't believe that these these other two I haven't mentioned it because for years the three of us have been trying to get a facility where it becomes this one incoming place for all donations. It'd have to be a large facility, and none of us have a lot of none of us have like seed money or whatever to to go out and get it. So we've got to we need a lot of help in doing that. But we're looking at a very large facility that would be. Incoming donations for all of us. They so get
1: parcelled out then. Yeah. yeah, once they come mm-hmm. in,
0: and then they can get parcelled out within that facility for each of our organizations. Uh, but it would be like one large reuse center for the valley, mm. and uh, and I think the need would be there. And then if if that was in place, I think it would get yeah the education. There would be people would know about it, and they go, oh, it's the same place every day. I can do this. It's going to go. I don't have to make three st- stops across the valley, etc. And so we've. All three been doing it, and I think we're all hit an in incredible frustration because we haven't we haven't been able to turn the corner on that. But and, I, and you
1: don't have the space individually, right? So Amazon comes to mind, and I, I can't remember the name of it. Nor am I looking to, to bash or make anybody wrong. And I know that the larger corporations, especially the, you know those that have that kind of power worldwide, they've they've got the large buildings and they've got those kind of, kinds of distribution centers um, that aren't, they're kind of focused on sustainability and reuse, uh, you know, things that got returned or whatever. And yet that money doesn't stay in our community. Right. And so we're talking about uh, making sure that it stays here. It serves the people yeah. that, that we're here, that we, you know we break bread with and that we spend time with and that we pass every day on the way to work. So if a large, my feeling is, if a large corporation can can do it, then so can we. And so we just have to bark loud enough, I think, which is part of why we said come and be on here today. Yeah. What else would you like to add to what Thomas shared?
3: We actually partner with Amazon. We pick up some of the donations from one of their uh, return facilities here Mm -hmm. in the Valley. And it's all clothing. And oddly enough, we have a hard time distributing the clothing, which is interesting to me, especially with so many folks in need we are struggling in our network to distribute it at the volume that Amazon is donating it is how I should really say that their donation volume is significant. And it's one of the pieces that we wanted to include in this expanded reuse resource center concept. And also I think that, that it's interesting that some of their model is changing. So now if you buy a pair of shoes from Amazon and you, they don't fit, a lot of times Amazon will say, well, just keep them and we'll send you, you know, the right shoe. And so now individuals are going to be faced with this problem of what to do with the shoes that didn't fit that Amazon didn't want back. So am I going to throw them away? Do I find a place to put them? And and I would
1: imagine most consumers are consumers in their thinking and are just throwing it away. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So I think that even that model is changing and we'll have an impact on what gets discarded and in the In a amount positive of waste. way, you're thinking? I think it'll be negative okay. for for our environment and for the level of donations that um, mm-hmm. Amazon provides. Those donations go back into the community to our nonprofit partners to give to their clients. So, it I think that'll have an impact down the road as more and more retailers stop taking back the items. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had people call and say, well, Wayfair didn't want my vanity back that was cracked. Do you want it? I mean, we can pick that up. We won't go pick up a pair of shoes, but, you know, so I think that that's going to change. And education is going to be key to right. making sure people understand how important reuse is. And just because that shoe didn't fit you, it, it's going to fit somebody else.
2: Mm-hmm. The Reusable Resource Center concept that we've been um, talking about um, when you asked me, like, how can we get the word out? It's education. And having this, if we were to have this facility, the education would be able to get out there in a much greater way, mm-hmm. right? Because for this large facility now, three really great nonprofits that focus on sustainability in three different areas. So education, technology, building supplies, right? So we would be a one-stop shop for anybody that needed to, you know, Find a place to donate the supplies that they have that are their ex excess, including you know the items that Karen have. We also have a thrift store, so our thrift store feeds into our teacher resource center. So any um proceeds after the cost of the thrift store goes back into um supporting the teachers. So we would take those shoes, right? And so if they were to come to this facility that we imagine and hope will happen and come to fruition someday, that that would be something we could do. Mm-hmm.
1: So who, is, I, I have a couple people in mind that would be worthy and important introductions. Who is it that we need to be in front of to continue to uh, educate and share this idea? Uh, you know, is it, is it inter- industry specific? Is it leadership roles? Is it uh, someone at the state level? How, who can we make introductions for you?
3: I think we could connect a lot of people together with this concept. So it could be cities, municipalities, folks that work in government that will actually be impacted. I mean, every city in our county would be impacted positively by reduction in waste Mm -hmm. and usable material staying out of the landfill.
2: Regardless where we are, too, right? This is open statewide. So it would be regardless of what city, Mm -hmm. all cities would benefit.
3: And definitely industry. Um, You mentioned Amazon. Walmart is another key player. I think commercial developers and builders, Mm -hmm. folks like Intel and on semiconductor. And, you know, there's quite a bit of industry in our Valley and it's growing. There's a, a lot of industry coming to our Valley. So those would all be key pieces of this puzzle. And the other cool thing about this idea is it's replicatable. So, it could be put in rural hubs to help rural communities as well and it could be replicated in other states once once it was built so
2: yeah it, we haven't thought about this at all no right. <laughs> <laughs> my list is growing i'm like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: and grant Grants, how important are grants uh, and kind of uh, the, the government support for each of your organization as it, as it comes to furthering the education and the mission and, and actually creating some financial stability? Are grants important for all of you?
0: So I think we get about 10 or 15 percent of our overall budget is based off grants. Now, when I talk about grants, these are like corporate grants. These are grants from Intel and um, You know, in PayPal and the Thunderbirds, organizations like that, that kind of grants. I remember having a a conversation with my uncle ten years ago, and he goes, Oh, so you're grant funded. And I'm like, Well, we get some grants. And what he was getting to was, so you get some state or county funds to do what you're doing. Well, it's like, No, no, we get none of that. We we don't get any state funding, we don't get any city funding, we don't get any county funding to do what we're doing. Why Uh, is that? Well, I'm okay with it because then I don't have all those. Uh,
1: I've heard people say this <laughs> I don't before. know I have that red tape to yes, deal with. Yes. I mean It's a double-edged sword. Right. Yeah, I think right. a
3: big part of it is that we're not necessarily providing direct service to, like, kids. Barb's helping teachers help kids. Tom's helping schools help kids. We give to nonprofit organizations material resource, but we don't touch the end user. Mm-hmm. And most of that type of funding is really geared to each like individual child or each individual
0: adult okay. and what kind of support
2: you're giving. She's right on with that. Yeah.
0: Yes. I mean some of the best funding we get is when we do a techie camp for kids. If we're gonna go ask for some some funding or grant they, we're gonna do a camp for kids and they're gonna take a device home after they, they spend four hours tearing apart and putting it together, that we can get fifty dollars a kid for and we can do camps. But anything else it, it gets really, there, there becomes too much disconnect. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm gonna add something, I don't know if these two have heard me talk much about. When it comes to circular economy, one of the things that we've done this spring, so we're helping Title I schools. So we get in iPhones, you know, we get in smartphones, but we get in iPhones and 80% of them are already cloud locked. So this is the manufacturer going, we're gonna, this is some planned obsolescence, right? So the only thing that uh, most for-profit recyclers can do is then part it out and generate some revenue off of everything except the main motherboard within that iPhone. That is now you just scrap it out because if it's iCloud locked, nobody can use it. Right. So what we do is we still, you, oddly enough, you can clear everybody's information out, so we do that. But then what we would do is start taking the phones apart and we found a place within the um, eighth grade curriculum statewide that talks about the periodic table of elements. So we come out and what eighth grader, especially in a Title I school, that's gonna look at the periodic table of elements going, I'm not going (laughs) to college, what do I care? But 90% of those still have a phone in their pocket or in their backpack or whatever. So if we go, here's here's elements and rare earth elements in your smartphone, all of a sudden they're like, what? Okay. and then it's easy. Prove it gold, to me. Yeah. gold yeah. silver, copper, aluminum. It's like okay, and we, our society is really good at recycling and reusing those metals. That's good. But wait, there's 25 to 28 elements in a smartphone. What are the other ones? So, in this chemistry lesson for eighth graders, they've got a phone in front of them, and we're starting to talk, start, starting to talk to them about boron or indium, these rare earth elements, and where do we get them? In other words, indium is. A result of zinc and tin, ninety-five percent of that is mined in Siberia. Wait, now is there an issue with us getting zinc and tin, and and down the line is that we want a big reliance on that? So we start to talk about how the elements are, where they're coming out of the mine, is it mined responsibly? Uh, the other example is boron. Well, boron can be mined, you know, just on the other side of the border to California, but. Mining boron out of California is much more expensive than mining it out of China. And most iPhone, well, all iPhones are manufactured in China. So the good news is our iPhone prices aren't going up because of boron. And then, well, what is boron? Boron is the element that makes those two little magnets bump against each other so your phone vibrates you can hear it on the other side of the house
2: (laughs) we just had a really great
0: i know
1: (laughs) and 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 this is the kid right here that science and math went shoop which why i only taught up to the third grade because that's about the the limit and yet this is so my high
0: school science teacher if you you heard me talking about this so proud of you wow (laughs) that i wouldn't have guessed
1: which is so critical and it reminds me, Tom, you were a guest with us as well on our STEM Unplug show with the SciTech Institute with Kelly Green, which is the foundation with Arizona Technology Council. And I remember now as I produced that show with Kelly and you in the room, this is these are some of the conversations we had. I know you have a huge um, STEM and STEAM influence, right? Because our teachers are always looking for ways to bring and create those hands-on experiences Tell that story, help it make sense. Anything you'd like to say? And then I wanna check with Karen too to see if there's that piece for you guys too. I don't know if it's a direct fit, but.
2: So absolutely, actually this summer, we just did a huge series. Jennifer Beam has been our trainer and she's incredible. And it was all STEM related, STEM focused. And one of her favorite things to do and to teach is to find a motor in something that we wouldn't have thought of, right? So we had these little um, fans, you know, like a fan you would connect to your phone and it was like a little fan so she collected all those fans and in one of her lessons she had them take apart the fan and get the motor and then show them how they could reuse reuse that motor and make something else mm-hmm. and so she was just you know really and she focuses on anything that we have that the teachers can reuse creatively in a stem or a steam lesson which is really critical for um, the teachers to understand that and also because Again, we talk about financial. The teachers can't go out and buy little mini motors off of Amazon. I mean, they can, but they're going to spend a lot of money. In our case, they might spend, I think she put them all in a dollar fill bag. So she probably got 20 or 30 motors for a dollar, Mm -hmm. right? And so she was able to distribute those. So um, there's all kinds of ways. It's really important that we do show them the STEM and the STEAM um, connection. And um, Tom also has a lot of information and education in that area.
3: I think that's really interesting, and Tom Tom actually um, partners in our building, so I get to hear a lot about what he's doing, know that. and yep. I'm always astonished with how quickly the technology changes and how he has to react to that, because a big piece of his organization and how it's sustained is through the recycling of the material mm-hmm. as well, so... It's interesting that he's always kind of looking forward at what technology is coming. We don't do a huge, I would say we probably do nothing with STEM and STEAM, but definitely with creative individuals and how they can reuse items that maybe weren't necessarily intended for that original use. But Mm -hmm. I think that's important in, in part of this discussion about keeping reuse relevant is that, well, the best use is the same purpose, because it takes the least energy. That's not always the case. So at least we have those creative folks that say, well, I can't use it for that, but I'll use it for this instead. I'll use it for my garden shed or I'll use it for my laundry room or whatever it is, or the things that Barb's group does with creative reuse for teachers and all those cool ideas for projects. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a big critical piece of why reuse is important and why we really wanna get that message out to folks that, it, don't just throw it away. Somebody else could use it.
1: Years ago when I taught, sorry, and Kyrene is a third grade teacher. Intel at the time was a partner with us at the school that I was at. Actually, it was even before that. Now, I think that they had those big recycling bins. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in my early 20s. And I really didn't grow up conscious around reuse and sustainability and you know, caring for our earth. And that, that was my first introduction to Oh, wow. My education, like there's, I can take responsibility for this. And as I'm learning, our kids can learn. And so I took that on and I've just continued to have that throughout my life and now have influenced my kids. So again, it's education. And while you guys don't directly have that STEAM or STEM impact, it's, it's by association. Mm -hmm. And of course your commitment to reuse and sustainability that you get to again, be an educator. Can we, do you have another comment or thought before I switch gears?
0: When I went down the rabbit hole on the, the smartphones, one of the things that I was trying to get to is, so we're providing this service, again, to the Title I schools at no charge to them, whereas some of the schools with the funding often pay consultants mm-hmm. for what we're providing to the Title One. So the, the concept that is so hard to get across is, if you donate to us, it's going to save on your taxes. If you don't, if you're not, voting to fund the schools and you it's costing too much money if you donate your equipment to us it's one of the most grassroots way to serve the schools without without raising the taxes without buying brand new supplies for the classroom without i you know other technology that mm-hmm. as a prop in the school and i got to give karen all the props for pushing me with some of these ideas when she became the executive director at stardust and you know we're working down the hall she would come out in those early days and go, what are you doing with this? And I'd be like, oh, we're going to get it to schools. No, what are you doing with this other stuff? Oh, we're going to recycle it. It's, it's R2 certified. And she's like, how about another? She pushed you. She challenged me with reuse. So some of the things we're doing now, I'm, she gets scramed uh-huh.
1: for. I, I see Barbara giving a thumbs <laughs> up as well. So... Let's talk about, and that's a great example of what I, w- I want to spend some time on. Uh, how important is it for nonprofits to align together, like you all have done, and be champions for each other, and and even have these greater uh, visions and mission towards, uh, you know, collaboration and that sort of thing with with greater impact. And I want to preface that by saying, you all have been around for you know 20, 25 years. So let's speak to it around the longevity, those long-term relationships, and also through the lens of somebody maybe new on the block. How does someone who's had their 501c3 for three or four years, is it a good old boy network? Do they need to weasel their way in? Or are there easy opportunities for them to come and learn and grow from folks who have been doing it all these years?
3: There's tons of opportunities in our community to work with others and, and collaborate We started this with Barb years and years ago where she brought us material for resale and then um, it maybe things that weren't as appealing to teachers or larger things like furniture and um, desks and that kind of thing. And we sell it out of our reuse centers and then we share back a portion of the proceeds so it's actually unrestricted funds. And we expanded that to work with other nonprofits that get large donations, mostly furniture, and they don't have any way to liquidate it. Uh, they don't have a thrift store. And so they bring it to us. We sell it for them. And then we s- send back a, a portion of the proceeds. And we've done it with Tom, too, with different really unique items like flashlights and that kind of thing. But it, I think the key is to find others in the community in this in this um, network of nonprofit organizations and just start connecting. There's all sorts of leadership circles that are nonprofit organizations. Uh, executive based, there's associations that are nonprofit executive based. I think in general, most of us want to connect and want to collaborate. Well, there is some natural competition for grant funding. I mean, we don't generally have that because we're self-sustained through our own um, revenue. Mm-hmm. I think. That you got to get past that and just realize there's so much more to gain by working together and think about it in a different way so we're not competing for grants but we're sharing revenue and sharing resources all the time and it's it's helping all of us it's not just helping one of us
2: one of the key things karen said was unrestricted funds so the money that comes back to us we can spend any way we want ninety percent of grants are restricted yeah, Rare- Tom alluded to that. Yeah, rarely are you going to get a grant that isn't connected to some program or some other project or something that you're doing. So, um, having that is really valuable. Can we speak, to, Take a sidebar for a second around um, unrestricted funds. Then,
1: where do those come from? That's that's um, foundation donations. It's
0: you're shaking your all, shaking your
1: head no. Yeah, huh? it
0: really only comes from a week if somebody just. Yeah. Finds our website. Independent
1: donator. Yeah. $100 a week. Or, Donations. Yeah. or
0: in earn, other words, it's not big at all. Yeah. You know, but I mean, it's very just spot.
3: Or earned income. So basically, oh, yeah. our models are all earned, earned income. income based. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we sell donated building materials. Tom has recycling fees. Barb has thrift store and membership. membership. So mm-hmm. it comes from that kind of revenue, okay. which makes us a little bit unique in the nonprofit world because we really are self-funded and what drives that is the donated material so if people remember to donate their material to us that's really 90 percent of our battle
1: Mm -hmm. now i'm forgetting where we what the question i asked before that sidebar we were talking oh the 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 collaboration the importance of getting to know each other um, as you serve the community either specifically in the reuse community and also really just, you know, charitable organizations here in Arizona. So Karen kind of kicked that off for us. What else would either of you like to add?
0: So in collaborating with other nonprofits, I mean, we all do that a great deal. It's kind of built in our DNA of of our organizations, Um, us getting, you know, equipment out to nonprofits and need them. And and I know that there's nonprofits come to Stardust and and need various equipment or furniture or whatever. and I I won't go into the details, I don't know, anyway. But along that line, my, my concern with the pandemic is I think there's gonna be a lot of turnover in, in executive directors of nonprofits. And in that turnover, I mean, one of the, the reasons the three of us are here, we've all been in our seats for quite a while and we're talking with each other for quite a while. And there's a lot of trust and faith that goes into that. And it's so hard, that doesn't happen overnight. And right. so now if we have turnover in some of the leadership of of some of the nonprofits it's going to that's a challenge for a brand new executive director even if it's a seasoned executive director new in an organization creating those kind of partnerships takes a while and so my fear is that that's going to be even more difficult now in the next year or so because we've got so much turnover and everything's and so many of the other nonprofits that are not funded like we are are having some very severe funding issues that they're dealing with. How are they going to get their mission out with, I don't know, I don't know what the percentage of reduced funding that they've got, but it's going to be significant. And so now you got somebody new, there's turnover and they have less resources. It's harder to um, get outside the box when you're just trying to fill up, you know, the box, you're just trying to get done what's inside. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, I think as far as collaboration with other organizations, I, I think that's an amped up challenge right now for most of them.
2: I would I would agree with Tom on that. And it, it takes an effort too, you know, this is like he said, it didn't just happen overnight. We've had many meetings, we've had lunches, we've had dinners, we've, you know, spent lots of time and many, many hours talking about, you know, our organizations and how we can support each other and now the Reusable Resource Center. So um, it really does take a lot of time and nonprofits, they just need to invest some of that time into you know, being with like-minded people, for sure, because that's the biggest way for them to be able to get to know their um, community. Um, one of the things I want to mention real quick is we also support nonprofit organizations and that's something that um, a lot of people don't know and that probably we don't do a real good job of um, telling. People about, but if you're a nonprofit organization and you work directly with students Mm -hmm. in some educational capacity, you qualify to come to Treasures for Teachers. You qualify to come and get paper, pencils, products that you might need in your program. So, um, if there are nonprofits out there listening and they are supporting students, then definitely look look at us for that. Mm -hmm.
3: We also support nonprofits through our gifts in kind program. So, if they yeah. If they serve um, individuals that are living at or below the poverty level, or youth, which is ident- is identified as zero to eighteen years of age, they can come to our gifts and kind program and take materials that they might need for their clients or for their operations. So, it's a it's a great program, and all they have to do is reach out to us. We'll get them a very simple application. There's no cost for the program, and the material donations are free to them. So.
2: And wouldn't it be nice if all three of us were in the same place doing that? <laughs> yes, one more, one more plug. That I, I'm, I'm, we're,
1: we're overdue for a coffee or a luncher. Anyway, I would love to see how I can help you guys achieve that. Not me personally. I, I don't know that I have the bandwidth or even the skill set or talent and intellect, but
2: I certainly have the connections. And yep. the reach, and it's something kind of like where we're sitting right now, right? We're in Max Six, mm. and and it's exactly <laughs> the exact same concept, just yep. on a different size. I mean, and you can talk to that a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I'm not going to right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Seeds of Autism. I want to give a shout out. So I just recently um, co-led or co-created 100 Businesses That Care Valley mm-hmm. the Sun. Uh, for the Greater Phoenix Giving Circle for Businesses. I really screwed up that name, let me try that again. 100 Businesses That Care Greater Phoenix as an offshoot from 100 Women That Care Valley of the Sun. And we meet here right here at MEXX, and Seeds of Autism, or excuse me, Seeds for Autism, we just donated our first check to them for the second quarter of giving that we had, and we got to take a tour. And as you described moments ago, you know, walking through the facility and seeing them interact with students, I had couldn't help but say to her, are you familiar with treasures for teachers and her impression was well we're not you know we're not teachers i'm like oh but let me (laughs) let me help re-educate you Uh, you're being of service to students and community and surely there's a way for the organizations to share resources because right now a lot of they uh, they work on donations too of course but there's a lot of brand new things that are purchased from the walmart the target and the staples and things when really it could come from you know whatever we're talking about in fact All three of you would be great advocates and partners with Seeds for Autism. I know they would benefit from each of each of your organizations. Karen, you planted the seed for this. There are several organizations that serve the executive directors and those who are champion champions for nonprofits. Are there any? We don't have time to mention them all. Are there any that you have been involved with over the years that you would like to give a shout out for? Those of our listeners who are um, struggling. I mean, we all wear so many hats when we start an organization, whether it's a for-profit or not-for-profit per- business. You know, you kind of all alluded to that. Uh, and it takes years to get the right people in the right seats on the, on the bus. Where would you suggest people go for leadership and for um, mentorship and guidance?
3: I, I'd say one of the easiest is Alliance of Arizona Nonprofits. They are. also um, operate the one used to be an organization, but now it's a program of theirs, and that's uh, for nonprofit executives. So it they have monthly lunch and learn sort of meetings, and they also have trainings, and Alliance has a lot of different trainings. Alliance also has uh, an advocacy policy council that works to advocate for nonprofit organizations with our legislature. So Alliance is a great organization to, to uh, be a part of and have a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. There are some local funders too. Piper Charitable Trust and Pulliam both have really robust leadership support for nonprofit executives. You have to be uh, a recipient of their funds to access those, Mm -hmm. but those are also some options. There's some local uh, associations. One that comes to mind that's reuse-based or recycle-based is the Arizona Recycling Coalition. But I know that there are others based on the organization's mission that you can find associations that are supportive of what you're what you're doing. So I tell people to look for that.
2: Yeah, I think the alliance was the very first place I went as a new um, nonprofit executive director. And that's kind of probably where I maybe even met you guys. And it really kind of helped give me that stepping stone that I needed to get into the Work into the field, get to know people, and then start spreading my wings a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the one program that Karen mentioned that's ideal, especially for brand new executive directors.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one or the the one program that's with the Alliance was very helpful for me in my first, I don't know, five years as an executive director. And the Alliance is a good starting point. I I think I think there's a lot more they can do, especially now that we're on the other side of the pandemic. They should. Put on a new pair of glasses on how they serve some of the nonprofits. I don't want to bash them. I they're very good. I just I think that things look different now out of the last two years, and I I, I hope that they can shift some of their focus and services. But but the one organization is an outstanding way for an executive director to to, to get a good feel and
1: and be surrounded by of course right. people yes. who are going to champion them. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. We are just about out of time. Goes very quickly or at least hopefully you feel like that and you wasn't dragging on. Anything that I didn't think to ask that you kind of came and hoped to share with our listeners? Uh, and then, of course, we'd love for you to share, you know, how people people can get involved and, and where to find you online and, and physically brick and mortar wise. But let's start with one quick round around um, any last things that you want to share and speak to before we close.
2: I'll start, Um, just a couple of quick things. Um, We have two locations, so we have one in Tempe and one in the West Valley, which is located at the Pendergast School District Campus at 91st Avenue and the I-10. That one's fairly brand new because we had to close for two years because of the pandemic. So if there are teachers or other nonprofits, homeschool, before and after school programs, anybody that might qualify, please come to that location. And also we don't just serve teachers. So I think I mentioned nonprofits, but also homeschool, before and after school, Girl Scout, Boy Scout. So anybody working with students in any educational capacity, we are there for you. So please come visit us and let us help you get the resources you need.
0: Our website, azstrut.org, that's where you can request equipment. That's where you can request uh, a pickup of equipment. Our truck will come out and get it if it's enough. If you're a school and you wanna be connected, I mean, that's the starting point. For a lot of organizations, I want them to know that we've grown now. And if they call the main number, they may not hear my voice. But we've got we've got a, a number of good managers on staff now to, to focus on exactly what need, their need is or how they would uh, connect with our organization.
3: And I completely forgot to mention that we provide a deconstruction service. And so if you're remodeling your home, primarily kitchen, bathroom, that type of remodel, Our team will come in and remove all of the usable material for a nominal fee. It'll save you a lot of money. Uh, Generally, kitchen remodel uh, removal costs about $2,000 to $3,000, and we charge $375 for that service. And your materials will go back into the community for reuse. What
1: do you call that?
3: Deconstruction. You can go on our website, stardustbuilding.org, and check it out. It's under the Donate page and tells you all about deconstruction. You can request more information or put in a request for a deconstruction service.
1: And that's on me because I did have it in my notes to ask and I forgot. So thank you for remembering. That's why I always can't believe I forgot. Well, no, we we went in so many different directions. Okay, fantastic. And then, Karen, tell us where to find Stardust.
3: We're in Mesa and in Glendale. The addresses are on our website, stardustbuilding.org, and uh, it, you can check out all the information there and find all the great contact information for both locations.
1: Come back.
3: Right. Let's do this again. <laughs> yes,
1: uh, uh, yes. And, and really, I would not only do you and I need to catch up, but I would really love to see how we can be of greater service to help you create this uh, Reuse Center, is that what I'm mm-hmm. going to call it? Reusable Resource Reusable Resource Center. And this massive, impressive, serving the community, Reusable Resource Center. Yep, Very good. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the MAC6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona. We help businesses and connect you with the right people. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business and charitable organizations. I'm Karen wiki Thanks for listening.